Hello everyone, long time no see. It's so good to look down there and see your smiling faces and just sense the anticipation of your hearts that you've come today to celebrate. Celebrate the fact that there is an empty tomb somewhere in Jerusalem. And uh, we're, we're just celebrating the fact that the Lord that we serve is not amongst the dead, but He is risen. I, I, I come from a Pentecostal background, so uh, I'm not quite sure if I'm on the right track here. But um, the, the, I think in the, the Church of England, on, on this, this particular Sunday, there's, there's a refrain that is carried out. The vicar says uh, something to the effect, he is risen and the congregation respond. Am I correct? Yes. Do, you, do you know what the response is? Well, shall we try that? Let me, let me say it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Wow. That, that does my heart good to hear that. Especially that little word indeed. In the end, there's no query about it. There's no wondering. He is risen indeed. And so I, I'm just so, so privileged to be able to bring a word to you this morning. And we're going to be obviously looking at the resurrection. Uh, I've been challenging myself in the last few weeks to answer a few questions. I've, I've asked myself, why is the resurrection important? And uh, a number of things came to mind and I, I repeated them to myself. Sometimes I repeated them audibly to myself. Uh, you know, they say faith comes by hearing. So uh, I, I've, I've been building up my faith and uh, the, the stance that I have to the, this morning, come and celebrate with you the fact of a risen Savior. And uh, as I was reading through Scripture, I came across a text, and I found in that text, one text, four amazing signals that God gave us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this weekend, Ashley alluded to the fact that two of his kids, but a whole bunch of our young people are away in the Norfolk Broads, and uh, they're sailing. They, two, two adults from the church are also there as part of the personnel, and uh, I don't know if they will be doing semigraph or not while they're there, but that is a... a, a uh, a way of signaling using handheld flags and however, whatever position you put that flag in, you're conveying a message. It's, it's part of the Navy's uh, way of, of uh, you know, I, I guess the other guys would do the dot, 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 the SO, the, the Morse code. But um, the Navy uses the, the, these flags to signal something that they want the other ships to know. And uh, when, I, when I think of the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus, those are probably the two biggest signals that God ever gave mankind. The cross, a signal that stands to this day, a signal that Christendom throughout the ages have, have, have rejoiced over and thanked God for, that he gave his son 
to take your place and my place when it came to being guilty. And, and you and I are pardoned because he became sin. Think of that. He became sin that we might be called the righteousness of God. Can, can you get hold of that? The righteousness of God. Think of that. Paul Rast stands here today, the righteousness of God, not because of anything he's done, but because he is in Christ. So the cross is, is, is a massive signal to mankind. But right alongside the cross, there is the empty tomb. And God signaled to us that Christianity is not just a religion. Christianity is a religion with a difference. It has an inherent life in it. Whereas all other religions, that is absent. It is not there. And so I, 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 I present to you this morning uh, four particular signals that God gave us when we read from Romans chapter 1 verse 4. And uh, follow along with me as I read. And Jesus, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power. Now, I love the alternate translation to that because that reads like this. And Jesus, who was declared with power to be the Son of God. Uh, I, I like that. I mean, it was a declaration that the echoes of it still comes down to this present time and it will continue on for all eternity. It is, it, is, it is a powerful signal from heaven that Jesus, the Son of God, is no longer in the grave, but he is risen. So let me read that again. And Jesus, who through the spirit of holiness, was uh, appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection. See, there it is. By his resurrection from the dead, and it ends by saying, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the first thing I would like to highlight for you is that the resurrection of Jesus was the Father's clear signal that Jesus is the powerful Son of God. We read it there. He was appointed, he was confirmed to be the Son of God by his resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is, that, is, that is so exciting for me when I, when I begin to ponder upon that, how, how that the, 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 the devil on so many occasions and through so many people has tried to deny the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. You remember that incident when Jesus was in the desert and he was fasting for 40 days and, and the, old, the old tempter came along and what were his words? If... You are the Son of God. Then command these stones to be turned into bread. If you are the Son of God. And that sentiment revealed itself in the, in the hearts and lives of the religious rulers and uh, in, the, in, the, in the likes of people like Dawkins and others these days who think they're so clever and, and deny the, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that he was perhaps just a person historically, yes, but was he really the son of God? And so there's this massive onslaught from the kingdom of darkness that tries to deny the fact that Jesus was the son of God. But they weigh behind the times because right from the outside, the father declared when Jesus was coming down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist, the father from heaven declared, this is my son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. So the sonship of Jesus is an irrefutable fact. When we, when we embrace the resurrection, it was a signal to say the Son of God could not be kept in the grave, but he rose on the third day. The Father said he is his Son. And he was declared with power by the, to be the Son of God by the resurrection. And so powerful was, was he as the Son of God that in his earthly ministry he raised three people from the dead. He raised the, the son of the widow of Nain, he raised Jairus' little daughter, and of course his good friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. He, he raised all three of them one by one. But here's the difference. The time came when they all died again. They did not live on forever. But when Jesus came up from the dead, this is what the scriptures declare about him. It says that he never died again. Never. He's alive today. And he, 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 his body that rose from the grave was different, moved into a different uh, uh, existence that, that, that pre, you know, did not need time or did not need space like ours do. But his body is, is a resurrected body, a glorified body, and that is what you and I can look forward to in the future, that we too shall be like him. He is the powerful son of God. The second signal that God gave us, and we find that in that verse as well, is that Jesus reigns as Lord. It said that right at the end of that verse. It said, Jesus Christ, our Lord. My friends, I know many of you, but some I don't know. Can I just ask, is he your Lord? Has a time come in your life when you said, look, I've, I've steered my life long enough. I've made some massive mistakes. I've had few successes but I recognize that I can't always get it right. I need someone to take over the steering wheel of my life. And it's at that point when we embrace what God has provided for us through his son, that Jesus can become our Lord and our Savior. And so if you've not come to that place in your life where you've made a decision like that, I would urge you, I, I, I'm not inviting you. I'm urging you. Stop, consider, and make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. So right now, He is Lord. Right now, we call Him Lord. Right now, 
we worship him as Lord. The signal was, this is Jesus, the risen Christ, Lord and Saviour. What a wonderful signal that is. So God has signaled to us that Jesus is the powerful Son of God. And he signaled to us that Jesus Christ is Lord. Many people don't call him Lord. And the only thing akin to his name that crosses their lips is, the, is blasphemous language. Using his name in vain. My friends, you need to call him my Lord and my Savior. That makes all the difference to your existence. And the third signal that Jesus, that God the Father gave us was that those who follow Jesus. Can I just make a point here? I'm not saying those who are Christians because so many people think they're Christians when they're not Christians. People think they're Christians just because they've been christened. They were christened as babies and they don't understand the significance of making a willful decision to embrace Christ. If you're in this nation, you probably call yourself a Christian nation. Well, that's to be argued. The fact of the matter is simply this. You only become a Christ follower, a true Christian, when you've embraced Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And so the, the, the Father's signal was that those who are Christ followers, those who have been born again, to use biblical language, are not captive to death. This is what that verse says. It says that by his resurrection from the dead, released from the dead, no longer in the state of death, by his resurrection from the dead, he was the first fruits. The first fruits to break the bondage of death. Let me say a bit more about that to you this morning. Since the fall, where death became a reality when our original parents transgressed and disobeyed the implicit command of, of God the Father and ate from that forbidden tree, from that time, death has reigned. And I, I, I can only take what I'm saying to you now from, from the scriptures because uh, to, for me to, to, you know, surmise something is not, is not authoritative enough. Uh, I, I take what, I, what I'm going to say to you now from the very words of Jesus. And Jesus gave us a very interesting account in Luke chapter 16. And he, he, he spoke about two people and two different places. Now, this, this account is quite different to all the other, other parables. Parables, forgive me. And, and the, the, the fact of the matter is that Jesus opening words about this account was different to the parables. In the King James, the, many of the parables are introduced in this way. It is like unto, and then Jesus would give the parable. But not in this case, not in Luke 16, where he talks about Lazarus and the rich man. 
Jesus' words were, there was a rich man and a poor man, a beggar, Lazarus. There was. So if there wasn't, then Jesus was telling an untruth. So the account that he gives us in Luke 16 is very, very important. It's the only account, or parable if you want to call it that, where people are actually named. No other parable, par parable has that distinction. Lazarus is named, and Abraham is named. And then, as I said, in, in this, this account, Jesus talks about two different places. A place that is filled with peace and rest, and another place which is exactly the opposite, is a place of torment and, and, and the, the absence of peace altogether. I actually look upon this account as the, the, the story about two beggars. The one was a beggar in this life, and the other became a beggar in the afterlife. But the story simply is this, that it's like, like Jesus pulls the curtains aside and enables us to look into the afterlife. And we, we see that there, Lazarus is now with Father Abraham, and it's a place of rest and peace for him. And there's another department, if I can call it that, the department where the unrighteous dead have gone. And it lacks everything that, that the place of the righteous departed offers. It, it lacks everything. There's, there's, there's no peace. Uh, and, and as I said, you see that now the rich man who used to live sumptuously while he was still alive, now... Uh, he's, he's in a position where he's begging but for Lazarus to put a tip of his finger in water and come and put it on his tongue. So it's very real for us, you know, we, we need to acknowledge the fact that never once does Scripture try and do away with the reality of the afterlife and that it consists of either a place of blessing and peace or a place of torment. And so I read in Ephesians 4 verse, verse 9 that it's a place of the departed dead which appears to have been in the, the nether realms the, 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 the lowest places. Both the righteous were there, but in a state of peace and content, and the unrighteous were also there in turmoil. Now, Ephesians 4 and verse 9, and I can, I'm not a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar, but I, I can only go by the words that other scholars have in, uh, translated for me. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 4.9. In saying that he, speaking about Jesus, had ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended? 
Did you get that? To the lower regions of the earth. It's not my words, folks. Go look it up. It's here. So it would appear that when Jesus died, he had a mission of descending into the lower regions of the earth. And I would suggest to you that that is where his victory was sealed and signed because he totally conquered the forces of darkness. Totally conquered them. That is where he wrested the keys of hell and death from Satan. And he was able to say afterwards to his followers, I have the keys of hell and of death. Because of the fall initially, Satan had ruled over that domain. It would appear that there were captives there who didn't want to be there and who shouldn't be there. But Jesus descended and he defeated death, defeated the enemy. And if you read verse 8, which, which precedes what we've just read from verse 9, uh, it says that as the scriptures say, when he went up to the highest place, that can only be heaven, wherever that is, when he went up to the highest place, he led away many prisoners <clears throat> and gave gifts to people. Other translations say he led away a host of captives. I understand that from what I've just read here, that Jesus descended to break free from the hold of death, the department of the righteous dead. Because when, when, when you listen to Jesus, read Jesus' account in, in Luke 16, it, it says they were able to see each other, but there was a massive chasm between the two departments. But Satan, because of what he had gained from the disobedience of our original parents, had a, had a hold on death. And Jesus, through his, through his death, and then in the process of his resurrection, before he rose, he had this mission where he had to go down to what it calls the lower regions of the earth, and there he released the captives, the righteous dead, and took them, led them captive to the highest place. So paradise no longer is bound in the nether regions. I'm calling it paradise. The Bible calls it Sheol. Some translations even refer to Hades as being. But don't forget, it was a place of peace and content, but captive. And Jesus released it because he now has the keys of hell and of death. And paradise is no longer in the nether regions. Paradise is now with him. When he went to the highest place, when he went there, he led away many prisoners. So the righteous dead were released, and now they are with Jesus. And I've listened to many uh, near-death experience, 
There's a particular channel on YouTube where you can, you can uh, listen to it. You can, what do you, what do you, you don't click into it, whatever you do to it. You, you, you get to see, watch it and, and listen to the stories of people who've actually died, but have come back to life. And there's none of it where they, where they, where they descend, they all ascend, and they with Jesus in that place called paradise. I'm so glad that Jesus had to fulfill a mission by wresting the keys of hell and death from Satan. Because now, in this day you and I are living in, we know that when the moment comes and we depart from this body, we immediately step into a glorious experience with him. Uh, the old tent that you and I lived in for however many years, it goes down into the dust and returns to dust. But the real you, the real me, we go to be with him immediately, instantaneously. Hallelujah. Jesus, by his resurrection, enabled righteous believers to no longer be held in, in some holding tank down below. We go to be with him. And can I just quickly fill in there? It says, and he gave gifts to men. Uh, we, 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 can, we don't have time to do it this morning. But he, he gave the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 and chapter 14 as well. He gave the, the, uh, the ministry gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In Ephesians chapter 4, I think it's verses 11 and 12. And he gave the motivational gifts that inspire us to service. In Romans chapter 12, which is giving and mercy and serving and administration and so on. Uh, he gave those gifts to men. And so we have today hands full of things that equip us for the service. I've been listening to a particular radio station and time and time again, one particular speaker on their stations would say, uh, doesn't, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And those are what the gifts are all about, enabling you and I to do the work of the ministry down here. Because remember, we are ambassadors down here. We represent not, 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 not where we're living. We represent where we're still going to be. We represent heaven. We, we, we represent that kingdom. And we ensure by our lifestyles and how we live it that we bring that kingdom to bear. And we can say with authority, that the kingdom of heaven is drawing near to you simply because you embrace the kingdom, contain the kingdom, and as you interact with people, you are being salt, you are being light, you are demonstrating the kingdom of God. I could get excited about stuff like that. Oh, can I also just mention one more thing? We're talking about Jesus breaking free the captives and taking them with him. You know, his, his, his power was so great that on, when, he, when he died on the cross, something amazing happened. Can I read it to you just quickly? 
Matthew 27 from verse 50 to 53. Can we have a light on my notes here, please, guys? I'm struggling a bit, if, if possible. Thank you. Uh, it says, thank you. Oh, where have you been all my life? <laughs> and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. He died. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. I mean, Turkey's just had a devastating earthquake, but this must have been something else, because it reached beyond the physical. It reached into the spiritual. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Now hear this. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. The power of Jesus, even in his death, was enough to raise the dead. What a savior. I said he raised a few people in his ministry on earth here one at a time. But at his second coming, you know what? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, a command, with a voice of the archangel, and with a sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You're going to have a resurrection. Unless Jesus comes before then. And I, you know, there's that song, no grave ain't, a, no gra it ain't going to hold me down. Whether you burnt to ashes, drowned in the sea, or died here for some reason or other, if you are a follower of Christ, you will rise again. And the final signal the resurrection was the Father's clear signal that Jesus had conquered death. I'm going to add my own words, once and forever. By his resurrection from the dead, our verse says. Death, as much as it wanted to, and I, forgive me, but death is a spirit. You don't throw something inanimate anywhere, but the Bible says that death will be thrown into the lake of fire. You don't throw a whispering wind into the lake of fire. And so the victory... That will, that will take hold of that spirit of death will be the final ultimate victory 
that proves that Jesus rose from the dead. Because death itself could not hold on to Jesus with its icy fingers. It couldn't. Acts 2.24 says, because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. The first part of that verse talks about Jesus being freed and loosed from the agony of death. That word loosed or freed is the same Greek word that is used where Jesus told his disciples to go into the city ahead of him and to, he said, when you get there, you'll find a young colt tied up, unloose him and bring him to me. Same word. It's, it's a word that talks about being bound and movement being, being hindered. Uh, when, when it says he was freed from, from, from death. Are you all right, Patrick? Yeah? Okay. It says he was freed from death, loosed from death. And if you were, if you were to, to observe that scene in the realm of the spirit, you would, see, you would see the chains of death lying on the ground because they were broken once and for all. Remember that strong guy in the Old Testament, guy by the name of Samson? Remember that one incident in Judges where it says that he was in a, in a particular city, the city of Gaza, and uh, the Philistines thought, we've got him, let's, let's shut the gates, everything, and uh, he'll be at our mercy. We can, when, if he tries to leave, we'll nab him and we'll kill him. Well, Samson got up during the night and uh, went to the gates. Some versions say the gates. Some versions talk about the doors and its posts in the gates. Whatever it was, it was pretty impressive what he did anyway. He, he got hold of it, and he lifted it up with its posts and just walked out of that city, walked up the hill. Now, don't forget, gates were meant to keep the enemy out. So they weren't some flimsy front door that you and I might have, these were pretty impressive and strong. And he lifted them up, pulled them out by their posts, marched up the hill and deposited them at the top of the hill. Wow. Let's make a movie about that. But Jesus rose on the third day. Samson, by the way, died later on. But Jesus rose on the third day, having once and for all destroyed the gates of death. Death can't hold anyone down. Even the unrighteous will one day come out of their graves to face judgment. But what I'm excited about this morning is that you and I don't have to save up every year and then decide we're going to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem when it comes to this particular, the Pesach, the Passover, to make a pilgrimage to his tomb, to, to honor him there, because it'd be a futile exercise. The tomb is empty. 
all other religions and their founders, the head figures. Do you study and bless yourself with this? You'll find that they all died and there is a tomb somewhere containing their remains. And many of the followers of those religions do pilgrimages there every single year. And that includes Buddhism, Confucianism, Islam, Judaism, Catholic, Catholic, the Roman Catholic belief, Hinduism, and I've even got some modern ones here, Mormon, Mormonism, Unification Movement, the Moonies as such, Scientology. Every single one of those, the initial leaders, uh, except did not initially have a leader. The, the main figure that came along on the scene later was Krishna himself, but he has a place where he died, uh, where his, his remains can be found. But every single one are no longer with us. But Jesus, he came back to life when everyone else did not. There is so much in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can point to as being vitally important. Just four little things from one little verse this morning. Well, they're not little in their significance. They're massive in their significance. But that one verse is enough for you and I to stand to our feet and to say, Lord Jesus, thank you that I can first of all call you my Lord and my Savior. But thank you that I don't have to, to go on a pilgrimage to find your body somewhere. Thank you that I don't serve somebody who's dead. I serve a risen Savior. I want you to do one more thing for me. And that is to exercise your vocal cords one more time. And I'm going to say it again and I want you to respond. Are you ready for it? Yes. He is risen. I think you'll do better if you stand. Will you stand? Come on, let's stand. Let's, let's let our voices be a testimony to forces of darkness this morning. Okay? He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's much more like a cheerleader right here. <laughs> Folks, never ever forget the significance of the resurrection. Never. Paul says this. He says that if there was no resurrection, then one, he and the other apostles have been lying by claiming Jesus was risen. And two, our religion, Christianity, wouldn't be any better than any other form of religion. You'd be wasting your time being here this morning if Jesus had not risen. You might as well be on the beach sunbathing. Yeah. 
His resurrection makes all the difference. So shall we thank him? Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, here are your people. You paid a huge price for every single one of us. And so when we come this morning and we stand before you, it is not as those who are hoping. Hope only exists when we don't have what we're hoping for. There's no point in hoping once we have it. But this morning, our hope is of a future event where we know that if we should die before you come back, a day will come when the graves will open. And like those saints we read about in Jerusalem, we too shall rise and we shall be with you in a glorified state forever and ever and ever and ever. Time, world without end. So thank you for having broken the bonds of death and that we know death will not hold us down either. We will rise to be with you and to be like you for all of eternity. Amen means so be it, Lord. And God's people said? Amen. So be it, Lord. God bless you. Ashley, thank you.